0: So we're learning to love when it's difficult, and uh, as Pastor Paul said when he preached on patience that, you know, love is always difficult, and that's true, but it's particularly true in a time of polarization and isolation and destabilization and all the other kinds of Asians that you've been thinking about uh, throughout this season. Um, deconstruction of everything that we, we all the institutions around us. Uh, it's just been a really traumatic time. And, and that puts pressure on relationships. And I keep hearing more and more stories about people's intimate families that are struggling over, you know, this season and, and trying to continue to love each other. And extended families, sad stories of people who are not no longer in contact with one another because one party has decided that you know over politics or whatever we're just not going to talk anymore and the pressures are there in our our schools the pressures are there in our workplaces as we try to navigate these challenging uh, new sort of processes and understandings and trying to make sense of it all the challenges are there in our church challenges are there in our neighborhoods, when we're uh, just even getting along with our neighbors, when we're walking down the street, you know, and we have interaction. I mean, it's just all over the place. Can you imagine what Black Friday is going to be like, you know, when everybody's not over fighting over all the merchandise, but whether or not they should be wearing masks while they're doing it, right? Um, It's just a really intense time. And so that's why we need this lesson more than ever to understand and to dig deeper into what it means to love when it's difficult. Over these weeks, we've been learning a number of uh, really powerful truths. And I got to tell you that for me, this has been a time for my own soul just to sit with this text, to continue week in and week out to try to understand it on a more profound level. We learned first of the primacy of love, really that once we get love right, then so many other dynamics in our relationships fall into place. And so one of the best things we can do is just focus on learning to love. Uh, and then these other things that we want to happen will happen. We learned that love is defined by sacrifice when, when a friend is willing to give his or her life for another person. That's what Jesus defines as love. And then, of course, Jesus himself goes to the cross to offer himself a sacrifice of atonement for us. And I just want to say, those of you who are visiting with us, or maybe you're online, you've been tuning in, maybe you got the card in the mail, I just want to say and, and just really highlight that, that that truth of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ on the cross is at the very center. It is the center of our Christian faith. And so if, if everything that we've been doing is intriguing to you, then I want to encourage you to dig deeper into the understanding of Jesus and his atoning sacrifice to reconcile us to God, to atone for sin so that our relationship with God can be healed and we can walk in this journey daily of life with the living God. It's such a beautiful blessing and it's really at the center of everything that we're about. So we learned about that in that first week. Um, we also uh, learned about uh, the the need for us to be divinely empowered to love others. Um, We find often, pretty much daily, that the call to love is beyond what we can do in our own flesh, beyond the strength that we have. And so here is this beautiful truth that comes out of this text that God empowers us to love in ways that we wouldn't otherwise be able to love. And that means living in a life of dependency, a life of dependency upon the Lord. We learned about the holistic care that God has for us as people which makes it so that we can risk loving others, right? If you know that you're taken care of, then you can take the risk to love other people. We learned about the warning signs that come as we interact with others, We sense maybe a little bit of rudeness or arrogance or boastfulness. And those become warning signs for us to to help us to key in to those moments when we're pulling back from love. When we're veering off the path of love. And then to be able to, in dependency upon God, be empowered to, to get back on the loving path again. And then we learned last week about the connection between love and truth, and and truth in a really holistic sense. Truth, meaning all the things that God says are true about the world that he made. Truth, meaning, you know, having a relationship that's based on truth, that there can actually be a deeper sense of love. You can go to a deeper place if in your relationships there is truthfulness. And then truth, understanding that in the time of Jesus and the time of the Old Testament, the New Testament, truth wasn't just merely an idea, but it was always, it was always giving birth to action. So truthful actions, loving actions that that our truth just wouldn't be a concept, but it would be impelling us to do the loving thing. So we learned about that last week. And then this week, we're going to be looking at this really extraordinary, this really amazing text, just verse 7. It says simply, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, uh, up until this point, we have been kind of looking at, you know, clearing out what gets in the way of love, and now we have this beautiful statement. About what love is, a very positive statement that we get to look into today. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like a gardener, you know, or if you if if you're a gardener, you the first thing you have to do is is clear out the weeds, right? And that's what we've been doing a little bit in verses three through six. We've been clearing out the weeds, making way. And in verse seven, it's like we're gonna plant these beautiful plants that are gonna take root in this space. And so if you think of your heart, love is like that. We need to clear out the stuff that is unbearable unloving and the Lord helps us to do that verses three through six primarily and then here in verse seven we have this beautiful planting of the kind of love that reflects the love of Jesus Christ that it bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things and we're going to take this little verse we're going to break it up into two different parts in fact um Probably the way this was intended to be read, and, and this was a common way that uh, early writers would structure their arguments is they would use something called a chiasm where you'd have the pieces at the front and the back would match each other, and then the two in the middle would match each other. so what we 're going to look at is how love bears and endures those are those are similar, and then we're going to look at how love hopes and believes and hopes. Those are those are similar. So we're going to take this in two lessons. You could kind of do it by shorthand. You could say love bears and love believes. So if you go home this afternoon and somebody says, hey, what was church about? Well, you could say love bears and love believes. That's the shorthand of it. But we're really going to look at how love bears and endures and how love believes and hopes. And hopefully um, we'll be planting some beautiful some beautiful shrubs in your heart today uh, that will give birth to uh, more and more love uh, in your life. So let's take the first one, love bears and endures. Love bears and endures. So bears has to do with weight, how heavy the burden is that one carries, and endures has to do with time. So you can divide those in those, those two ways. Now, it's interesting that the word we translate as bears is a word that connects to the word for, for roof. And, and in New Testament times, in that area of the world, the roof served two purposes. It was, it was both um, a covering, but it was also a structure that could bear weight because in almost every case, there would be some sort of a deck Or living space on the top of the house. So that the roof would both cover and protect from the rain. And it would bear weight. So that if somebody were standing on it, they wouldn't wouldn't fall through. Um, and, And both of those elements are part of the way that we interrelate with one another with respect to love. Love covers the other and it bears up under The other love is like a roof and a floor. It holds up under the heavy weight of another person's weakness, failures and sins, and it covers them even goes to the to the next level even of covering them. You may know, those of you who know me, you know I'm a big uh, Wendell Berry fan. Uh, And so, yes, I know I almost texted some of you who are Wendell Berry fans to say, get ready for Wendell Berry today. It's always hard to talk about a Wendell Berry book because um, it's it's very atmospheric. And it's not necessarily like a, a really dramatic tale. Um, but I'm a big fan. And one of the things that in Wendell Berry's uh, universe, so just like, you know, we have the Marvel, um, a, Wendell Berry has a universe too. And it's, it's even cooler in my mind. Well, I don't know. Um, Wendell Berry's universe, uh, you know, people, people. one of the things I love about it is the community around an invi- individual hold that person's flaws and failures and sins as they participate in membership in the community together. So one of my favorite stories is called Watch With Me. It's a short story. And it tells of a man whose nickname is Nightlife. And he's called Nightlife because he doesn't see very well. And uh, his glasses, it says, are as thick as soles of shoes. And, um, and then he goes on, Wendell Berry goes on to describe him like this. He says, Nightlife was incomplete too in some other way. There were times when spells came on him. When he would be sad and angry, and confused, and maybe dangerous. And nobody could help him. And on this particular day, which the short story takes place, uh, nightlife is having one of these spells. And what made it particularly difficult was that he grabbed a gun as he left and went to go walk across the countryside. This is rural 1920s. And it's farm country, so there's guns. You know, it's just part of the part of the deal. And uh, he grabs a, grabs a gun and starts to wander in the countryside. And the rest of the community is concerned for him. And so a small band gathers together and they begin to follow Nightlife across the countryside. And they're 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 a little conflicted because they want to help him, but they're also a little concerned. They don't want to get too close. Because they don't know what he's going to do. So from a distance, they just keep following him. And it goes on and on through the afternoon and into the night. And then they end up spending the night out in the countryside, just yards from nightlife, trying to keep tabs on him. And in the morning, he continues to walk and they follow him. And they just keep following nightlife at a distance to try to protect him, looking and hoping for an opportunity to bring him back into a place of peace. Finally, Nightlife comes to, and the story closes with um, with them all standing in the barn, and, and Nightlife ends up preaching a sermon to them, essentially, on the parable of the lost sheep. And he's really telling the story of his own struggles, and his own fears, and his own delicacies, and weaknesses and struggles and suffering he says this this is what nightlife says he says oh it's a dark place my brethren it's a dark place where the lost sheep tries to find his way and can't the slopes is steep and the footing is hard the ground is rough and stumbly and dark and overgrown with bushes and briars a hilly and hollery place And the shepherd comes a-looking and a-calling to his lost sheep. And the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. And he wants to go to it, but he can't find the path. He can't make it. And nightlife is describing these spells that come upon him and the sense of lostness that he feels. And the really beautiful thing about the story is the way that these, these friends, they, they're called the membership, the way that they just stay with nightlife in his period of darkness, and they don't give up on him. And they follow him at a safe distance, but they won't give up. I can't see my notes. And life is like that sometimes, right? We bring the weight of our own struggles and it impacts, it exacts a toll from the people around us. That's called community. When the flaws, failures, and sins of other people extract their toll on us there is a great temptation to separate and to run i mean we've all felt this and modern society makes it really easy for us to do that right we can just stop going to the place where that person is see in a rural small town in the 1920s it wasn't easy to escape the people around you but for us It's easy to escape. We can just stop going there because we are members of many disconnected communities and we can pick and choose which ones we want to be a part. And then social media has even accelerated that, right? Because then we can just unfriend people or cancel people, right? But Jesus invites us down a different path. He calls us into being this beautiful community that holds each other's flaws and failures and sins together. Even when they're really heavy, like, like nightlife, he invites us to cover over each other's flaws and failures and sins as we create something more beautiful together than we could ever create on our own. You see this in a healthy marriage. Um, perhaps you've known this in a couple that's been together for a long time, and you've, you've watched as, as first one, then the other. They, 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 they bear up under the other's weakness, or they cover, even cover it over. They cover over the weakness of the other. And, and you see it working itself out, and it's inspiring. You see it in, a, in, a, in an unhealthy marriage. You see there's this temptation and acted upon at times to expose the other person's weakness, right? To bring it forward in the community. Hmm. God's calling us to bear with one another, which is to, to hold up the weight of our failures and sins and flaws, and to cover over each other in grace. So, now I know some of you are going to ask me if I don't go here. There's got to be some exceptions to this, right? Even though the text is pretty unqualified, it says, Love bears all things, right? Endures all things. There's got to be some qualifications, and I think it's there are. Um, the scriptures often talk, you know, in 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 large categories, and then we would say this is generally how it is. So what are the exceptions? And and this is probably a whole nother sermon worth of material. So let me just suggest a couple of things. Obviously we don't bear we don't keep bearing with somebody when it's unsafe, right? So there's gotta be some boundaries there. And and unsafe is is where there's abuse of you know, a physical, physical, verbal, or emotional nature, right? So, so we know that there's got to be boundaries in those moments. I think that the word unsafe is being is being messed with a little bit in our our society right now. Um, we're using unsafe to refer to hearing an idea that we disagree with, and that's that's not a helpful use of of the word. That's unsafe. The word unsafe. We need we we need to be a little more. It, that actually ends up harming us more. The inability to be able to hear something that you disagree with, ends up harming us more. You think you're protecting yourself, but you're actually living into a kind of fragility that will end up giving you problems. So, so I want to call that out. That unsafe has to do with abuse. It has to do with physical, verbal abuse, and and we're, we're and emotional. And and we're you know we're not called to bear with that right? There's got to be boundaries on that. And then sometimes we have to question the overall impact of our bearing with others, whether it's beneficial. So this would be another category, another boundary around, around uh, bearing with uh, all things. You know, sometimes you might be enabling somebody so it would help them actually stop bearing with them in a certain way. Because you might be enabling them to harm themselves or to harm others. Sometimes your bearing with one person might cause another person to lose out. This is often the case, you know, when I think of a parenting example, you know, you're giving your time to other people. And that's stealing from the time that you would give to your children. Right. So you've got to make those you got to make those. Oftentimes when I'm feeling like I have to end, you know, this person is taking more time. It's not because I necessarily not it's because there's other obligations to bless people, too, that are part of the equation. And so we, we have to think through. We have to think through that. Um, it's not an unquestioning bearing with. And then sometimes telling somebody what you would like in a relationship is a gift to them. It's a gift to them. I think we, 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 we misunderstand. If I say what, what, what is important to me, or what I need, what I like, then I'm not bearing with. And that's, those, that's false. That's a, that's a false dichotomy. So those are just some, again, it could be a whole sort of deeper conversation that we have. I'm not happy to engage that with you. If you have a particular situation that you're really struggling with on this issue of bearing with, would love to talk with you about it. Those are some important exceptions. But here's the thing when we talk about bearing with, um, the exceptions help keep us safe, but they don't remove the pain. They don't don't change the equation so that when we're actually called to bear with somebody else, there'll be no pain or suffering. That's always going to be the case when we bear with people. We figure out how to bear with people in ways that are right and appropriate and true. There will always be, it's always going to hurt, in other words, it's always going to hurt in some way. And I'm, I'm digging into the, the life of the Apostle Paul um, to share with you kind of the extent to which the expectation is as Christians that we would be willing to go to bear with others, to, to endure for the sake of others, to love for others. Paul makes this, this sort of, this sort of uh, emblematic statement in Second Timothy 1.10. He says, therefore, I, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, he's already written earlier in this book that we're looking at. Starting in verse 4. But as servants of God, and this really gets into the nitty gritty of what it can look like to bear with, to endure for the sake of another. Okay, and let this sort of be placed alongside those things that you find frustrating when you're trying to bear with and endure things for others, all right? Verse uh, 4, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor through slander and praise we are treated as imposters and yet are true as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. So lack of love. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. That phrase, widen your hearts, really jumped out at me. And When you think about all of the the ways in which the Apostle Paul and his co-workers were willing to suffer for the sake of others. It causes me to want to widen my heart. Right? To be loving in that kind of way. To be loving to that extent. And isn't it, I mean I have to, I'm embarrassed to think about some of the things that frustrate me. That. That I'm not willing to endure or bear, right, for the sake of another. When I lay it alongside this incredible list that we've been given through Paul's writings. It's like the, it's like the goalposts have been moved a little bit further out. You know, the expectations have been Stretched. So, the question then becomes when we look at a list like this, when we think about life, we think about, you know, even in this season of polarization, when we're being stretched to love and to endure and to bear with things that are more challenging. In this season, the question is where do you find the strength and the resource to be able to love like that? To love in the way that Paul loved. And that's the answer to that is sandwiched between those two words. To bear and to endure. Love believes and love hopes. So, that word endure is, is used oftentimes in a military context and it carries this sense of sort of an active, positive fortitude in the midst of struggle and strain. Um, one commentator describes as, it as the power to live vigorously, if not victoriously, in the face of evil. The power to live vigorously, if not victoriously, in the face of evil. So when the the Apostle Paul talks about bearing and enduring, he's not talking about this grim, sort of gritty, you know, grumbly, grouchy, any more G's that go along with those, uh, kind of endurance. It's it's sort of a positive, forward-looking, forward-thinking, even joyful endurance that he's talking about. We're talking about bearing with and enduring. It has something more than just that, that gritty, grumbly, kind of grouchy posture. And the way we get that, the way we get past that, Paul says, is by faith and by hope. So where does strength to bear and endure come from? It comes from faith, and it comes from hope. Now, if you're struggling with these phrases, and I, this is something I've struggled with as I've read this text, and there's a reason that you've probably struggled with it. If you're struggling with the phrase believes all things, what does that mean? Does does this believe everything unthinkingly, uncritically or hopes all things? I want you to know that the word things is not there in the original language. But there's no easy way to translate what it's saying without bringing that into the mix. So it's a, it's a wonderful translation. But, you know, this happens with languages. There's not a simple way to move from one to the other. Uh, what it really says is, is a subs, it says something like, you know, uh, uh, love is all believing or all hoping. It's all believing or all hoping. Or, or if you wanted to add the time element to it, it's always believing no matter what comes at it, it's, it's always continuing to believe. And what is it believing? It's believing the truths that God has given us about the world he's bringing into existence. It's believing those things in the midst of circumstances that seem to be moving to the contrary. And it hopes because of that belief. I like what the NLT says. Um, the translation of the New Living Translation writes it, says it this way. Love never gives up. So it kind of flips it into the negative. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now we've been talking about faith recently uh, in uh, one of the series uh, just even a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. And we talked about faith as an ability to see further than what the physical eyes can see. Do you remember I gave you the illustration of our trip to Yellowstone? We went to Yellowstone and we were excited to see the wolves and we showed up to the place where you're supposed to be able to see the wolves and we looked out at the hill which is a mile away and couldn't see anything and then one of the locals who was there who had a telescope set up said, hey, do you want to look in my telescope? And so we looked in the telescope and there on the hillside were four wolves that had encircled two young elk. And we watched for 45 minutes as this incredible interaction between the wolves and the elk unfolded. And you would look away from the telescope and you couldn't see what was going on there. You, you, right? But you look in the telescope and you could see. And my point was that faith is like a telescope. It helps you to see beyond what you can see with the naked eye. That's what faith is. And what is it that it helps you see? It helps you see the promises of God. So that when everything in life seems to be going haywire, and it seems like everything that God has said is no longer true, then with the eyes of faith, you see through the current circumstances to what God has said, to the promises that he has made about us. Another way to put this is, what if you actually believed everything that you say you believe? What if you actually believed everything that you say you believe and lived it out on a daily basis? Some of the promises that God has made, promises uh, to prosper us, right? Promises like this, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That he's working out all things For the good of those who love him. Right? That he will keep in perfect peace. Him whose mind is steadfast. Why? Because he trusts in him. And I could go on for the rest of the day. About the promises. That God has made. In his love. And his grace. To say that. What you think you see happening is not all of it. You need a more powerful lens. You need the lens of faith to be able to actually see what's actually going on. See, that's the amazing thing. I stood in front of that hill where the wolves were. I couldn't see them, but it was happening. The fact that I couldn't see it didn't mean it wasn't happening. And the telescope Made it possible to see, and that's what faith does. Helps us to see the eternal things. What's actually happening around us. Dallas Willard, um, and I finally just made my way through this book. I talked about it at the very very beginning of the series, Life Without Lack. I want to commend it to you. Um, He says this, one of our greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things they already profess to see and believe. Knowing about things, knowing what they are, being able to identify them and say them does not mean we are actually, we actually believe them. When we truly believe what we profess, we are set to act as if it were true. Acting as if things are true means in turn that we live as if they were so. If we actually believed the things of God to be true, in a real and a daily way, we would find it much easier to love others even when it cost us, even when it meant enduring and bearing with them, right? Even when it meant carrying their flaws and failures and sins or covering over their flaws and failures and sins in the context of community, if we really understood all the promises of God and took them on board and lived as if they were really true, we would find it easier to bear with. That's what the message of the text is, that that we can love through faith and with the power of hope. So hope is the emotional component that goes with faith. So faith is sort of the mental component peace, where we're, where we're thinking about the things that God has said are true about this world, even when we can't see it. We're leaning into those. And then hope is the emotional component that comes with that recognition. So if, if the parents say to the kid, we're going to the amusement park, and the child believes that you are actually going, that's faith. But the irrepressible excitement that they have about going to the amusement park, that's hope. And it's the combination of those two. It's faith and hope that empowers love that is enduring. Faith and hope empower love that's enduring. You can't help but see this in the life of Jesus. As young on the cross, he made these amazing statements of love. And they can only be explained as coming from one who is looking past what seems to be happening right now. He's hanging on a cross If that's all there is, if that's the end of the story, then he bother loving people in the midst of that. Because he sees with the eyes of faith that his father is doing something much greater than what's happening while he hangs there on the cross. Through his death on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He says that from the cross. You can only say that if you're a person of faith and hope. To the criminal, he says, Today you shall be with me in paradise, in the midst of hanging on a cross. To John the apostle, he says, and his mother Mary he says, Women, behold your son and behold your mother. So he finds time as he's there dying on the cross to lovingly care for his mother and to make sure that she's provided for. And it says, from that hour, the disciple took her, his mother, into his home. Why would any of this matter if he were merely dying on the cross, and that was the end, right? Jesus models for us what it, what it looks like to approach circumstances even at their lowest in faith and hope. So, in conclusion to today and to this series, it can be very difficult to love these days. For all the reasons that we've been talking about throughout the course of this series, it can be very difficult to love. But here's the good news. A more challenging environment causes us to dig deeper and connects us to the source of love in a more powerful way, right? In other words, in order to meet the demands of love in this moment, you gotta dig deeper. And that's a good thing. Andrew Murray, you know, you've heard me quote Andrew Murray many times. He wrote the book Humility. In the book Absolute Surrender, he talks about a grapevine in the middle of London that was producing thousands of bushes, of, 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 um, of bunches of grapes and they couldn't figure out why. And later they discovered that the roots of this vine had extended hundreds of yards all the way to the Thames river. And it was being nourished to be able to produce the fruit in a completely unexpected way. And that's what we need. That's what you need. That's what I need. We to reach out to the source of nourishment, who is Jesus Christ. Reach out to God to be nourished, to be able to do the thing we couldn't otherwise do, which is to love. I'm hoping and praying that uh, in this series you have been pricked by the Holy Spirit of some areas in which you need to grow. In just a moment, we're going to have a special time of prayer. And um, we're going to have some people available to pray with you. And I just want you to ask, as we go into this time of communion and prayer, is there something that the Lord is calling you to seek prayer for, that you might live more deeply into this amazing and beautiful call to be a loving person?